Thank you for calling the Suicide Hotline. It's a beautiful day. What's got you down, Sunshine? I recently have, uh, was watching the news and I noticed a report about vaccinations and they can cause autism in children. Okay, and uh, wh- wh- what does that have to do with you calling the Suicide Hotline? Well, I'm a little concerned that I may be becoming autistic and in my career I, I can't afford to do that, so I'd much rather just kill myself. Okay. Um, I mean, do you have any signs and symptoms of, uh, you know, classic autism, or...? I recently made a trip out to Vegas with a couple of my friends, and we, uh, we, uh, sat down and... <clears throat> excuse me. We, um, we sat down and played a hand of go fish. Yeah, de- definitely go fish. Okay. And, uh, how did that go? Well, I was able to see the cards kind of play out before they, they dealt them. And, uh, I, 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 I... It's <clears throat> happening. Um... I could see everything as it went on, and I won thousands of dollars. It was amazing. Well, that, that sounds like a good thing, yes? I mean, it just sounds like you got lucky and won some hands, right? Oh, I, I definitely didn't get lucky, and nobody touched me with a hand. All right. Well, I mean, have you, have you talked to anybody about any of this, or, you know, anybody counseled with you, or I mean, has anything like that come to fruition? Um, I... I, I I don't know what you're talking about with fruits. I, 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 I don't understand fruits. I don't eat fruits. Christ. I um, hate the parades. <laughs> I think that you, sir, uh, you sound like you just need to talk to somebody about it. I don't think that, you know, killing yourself would be the best option here. Um, I mean, you sound like a re- rel- relatively intelligent guy. Well, I, 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 I don't seem intelligent anymore. I'm not, I, I don't get it. What, what, what time is it? What time is it? It's, uh, it's three in the morning, sir. Oh, 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 it's definitely, it's time for Wapner. I gotta watch Wapner. All right. Uh, you you okay with not killing yourself? I gotta I gotta watch Wapner. All right. You go watch Wapner and don't hurt yourself, please. Wapner. Suicide <laughs> hotline. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back for another episode of dementia or something like that. Travesty. Travesty. It's all travesty. There we go. <laughs> Yeah, this week we uh, we thought we'd try something different. Um, have somebody who is far better and funnier than us pop up on the show. Um, try to give us some credibility. <laughs> yeah, at least some sort of yeah. balance of it. Um, so yeah, it's one, uh, Rob, one of Rob's good friends. Uh, go ahead and introduce him. We're just going to do the first name because I don't want to fuck up your last <laughs> name. So. <laughs> <laughs> you spent all that time working on my last name. You're like, how do you say your... Your whole name. Yeah, can you just uh, spell it out and then just, you know, how about you yeah. say it? That implies you can spell. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, everybody got a good buddy uh, from L.A. who's a comedian, very talented, uh, and very awesome human being. Uh, Cena with us today. Clap, 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 clap. Yeah. Nice. 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 <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mr. Cena. So tell us, t- tell us a bit about yourself, sir. Well, I'm an air babies. <laughs> I'm a comic man. I, I started doing comedy in uh, 2003 and uh, basically started acting a few years before that. I started comedy because I was just bored waiting for auditions and I was like, fuck man, how does this thing work? Like, how do people make it? And, um, <laughs> and uh, I started waiting tables in a comedy club. I never thought I could do comedy. And then um, and uh, I was waiting tables in a comedy club and then I was watching the open mics going like, oh, well, I can do that you know like i i can't do what carlin does but i can do what these fucking do. get a couple drinks of courage in you and go up what's that get a couple drinks of courage in you and go up and go for it yeah yeah like i needed someone that kind of sucked 
that was doing it to kind of show me that I could do it, not someone that was like, you know, my the comedy that I watched was like brilliant, brilliant comedy. You know, like I, I was a huge Carlin fan, and like even back in the day, like Louis C.K. fan, and, yep. and you know, just would love watching like, you know, um, Caroline's Comedy Hour and an Evening at the Improv and all that shit growing up, and yeah. and you Old watch these stuff. guys doing ten minute sets. And you're like, God, how did people... I thought people were just that funny. I thought that someone would just get Naturally. on stage and just make people laugh. And uh, <laughs> I just found some beads hanging from my fan, by the way. That's <laughs> awesome. What kind of beads? Yeah. So yeah, last night... La- oh, God. Last okay. night got bad. No idea what the fuck happened last night. You should probably desanitize um, that. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so it was... Um, it, was a, it was an interesting uh, arc for me. I, I, I never... It, it was like I always wanted to be a comic, but I know, you, you don't you don't watch people like Carlin and say, "Well, I can do that," or Fryer <laughs> or anybody. You know, that just seems impossible. Right. Um, but I just needed someone that sucked that was doing it to kind of encourage <laughs> me to think, "Yeah, you know, I I can at least do that, and I can still be a comic." <laughs> um, That's awesome. I think we're doing this backwards, then, since uh, he's is a little bit better what? than us. We're gonna we're gonna spark a bunch of great comedians with our shittiness. <laughs> yes, I know. Yeah, a bunch <laughs> of idiots that are like, well, there's shitty comics. Out there. Yeah. As long as we yeah. can inspire yeah, the youth. The thing is, like, just in general in life, if you want to do it, you can do it. You know, I mean, fucking, if you want to be, you know, a heavy diesel mechanic and you think that you suck at mechanics, you can do it. You can do whatever you really want to do. It's the weirdest cliche, like, if you, anything you set your mind hey, to. But it's, it's actually, it's, it's pretty It really true. is. <laughs> like, I, if, I, you, if you want to be a comic, just fucking get out there and do it. I highly doubt I could be a prostitute. <laughs> I don't think anybody would, what? No, you, I, I don't think anybody would pay for me to have sex with them. I think that's one thing I can't realistically do. Well, you can cater to uh, a specific audience. I mean, get some midgets or something. If you put your mind to it, I'm sure there's a handful of women out there that are willing to <laughs> Yeah, the, the problem is, is they're all kind of related to me, so it'll get weird. <laughs> I came from uh, Ohio. It's shitty. Well, here's the thing. I don't think it'll be the women that you want to fuck, <laughs> but that's why you're getting paid for it. So, I, uh, that's yeah, I mean, I'm not a good-looking guy, but I guarantee you there's some chubby girls out there. <laughs> Chub chases. See, it's like a fat chick yeah, with, with a, a real pretty vagina. vagina. Yeah, that's kind of how it goes down. So um, what kind of places have you performed at? Are any any noteworthy places in L.A.? or? Uh, yeah, well, I'm living in L.A. now. I, I spent uh, formative years in, uh, I grew up in Salt Lake in, in Utah, and um, uh, where I started, there was no real comedy scene. Um, there was one comedy club, and that <laughs> was Utah. It. And it was, a clean, it was a clean comedy club, and, and so, like, I would perform there on the weekends, and they would put me on a Sunday show, because their Sunday show was, like, a blue <laughs> show, like, a little bit bluer, dirtier. Um... And, uh, and and even then, like after the set, they would do three minute sets once a week for like the first few months I did comedy. And they would tell me, dude, you can't say that. You can't talk about sex. You can't say fucking so much. You can't say, <laughs> you know, this, whatever. And I would leave the show because when you're that new, when you're that green, mm-hmm. you don't know you're funny. You mm-hmm. know, like you still think you suck. You think you suck for a long time. Like at least I'm in 10 years. I think I, I think it's only been like a year where I finally convinced myself that I don't suck at comedy. Wow. And, wow. Um, and like, it, it just takes hundreds and hundreds of audiences laughing at you and people coming up to you after shows telling you that you're funny. So like, so like for a while, you know, the guy would be like, hey, you can't say this, you can't say that. And you'd go home and go and like, oh, I suck. You know, like, <laughs> oh, I'm never going to do this. I'm not going to be funny. And, um, 
but even even at that point, I was kind of convinced because I was watching so much comedy. I'm such a fan of comedy yeah. that I was like, no, man, what I'm saying isn't a lot different than what these guys are saying. You know, like I'm watching David Tell, and he would come in and, and play that comedy club and and sell it out and and have audiences rolling. Right. And he's yeah. dirty as fuck. And I was like, dude, <laughs> if he's getting laughs saying this stuff, then I shouldn't have a problem saying the stuff that I'm saying, even though this booker is telling me that I suck. Um, yeah, because David so, Tell, David Tell takes it to a whole different level. Oh yeah, I mean he's yeah he's pretty off the cuff, man. <laughs> yeah, he's he was a super big influence on me. I I wrote when you first start writing comedy, you kind of write for your favorite comics. Like you're not writing for yourself because you don't know what you sound like yet. Right, sure. So like you write for you know David Tell or you know Mitch Hedberg or whoever you're listening to in the car on the way home. So. Um, so, God, I didn't think about this so, so long ago. It was a CD. I was listening to a CD. Uh, but uh, <laughs> anyway, so um, I, uh, yeah, so like there was, there was no, uh, there was only one comedy club. So what I did was I, there was no comedy in bars at all in Utah. There was no bars performing comedy when I started. Uh, it is the Utah. So, um, <laughs> yeah. so I went to a bar near my house and like approached them and I was like, hey, do you guys want to do a, um, a comedy show and so we started doing that like me and some friends like some of the guys from the comedy club that I knew that were also a little frustrated with the amount of stage time we were getting and the, uh, the amount of censorship sure. and it was just a few of us you know just telling jokes or whatever and uh, there was nobody really in the audience other than a few friends and then um, next thing we knew like a year later of us doing shows every single week it was like the biggest show in Salt Lake it was like the biggest show in town it was at this bar called Moe's and we called it the Sunday Funnies, and uh, it was this crazy big thing. And we we were like, I mean, we got newspaper articles written about us. We were like, this is back in the MySpace days. MySpace was like, this is 2004, 2005. Um, we were like featured as like, I was like one of the top 100 comedians on MySpace wow. and all this stuff. Damn. And, um, and during this time, I started going on the road a lot, which was great because I started meeting headliners from L.A. Sure. And they would come out and play our room and stuff, which gave us credibility. And then next thing we knew, I mean, it was like we got guys like Louis Black and like wow. Doug Stanhope Damn. and, and uh, you know, Sean Rouse and, and Ron Schock and all these like big name comics, Augie Smith, like coming and playing our room, Neil Hamburger. Like it was so crazy that like we're able, because of the internet, able to like contact these guys that would never, they didn't even know Salt Lake was like a destination. You know, <laughs> right. just kind of drive through it on the way to Colorado. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so they started playing our room. And then, you know, I started doing these shows called Triple Run Shows. Which were, in essence, instead of, like, I basically, like, left the comedy club scene immediately. Like, I, within the first year of doing comedy, I was pretty much blacklisted from doing comedy in Salt Lake at the comedy club. Yeah. And I just was, like, okay with it. I was like, fuck it, I'll just play bars. And so I started doing these things called Tribble Runs. A guy named David Tribble books a bunch of bars like my room that I have in Salt Lake. Yeah. He books a bunch of those all over the Northwest. So, like, I was playing a lot of, like... Wyoming, Idaho, Montana, one-nighters where there's no comedy club. It's just a club that does a bar that does comedy one night a week, you know, or one oh, wow. night a month or something. And you go to places like I mean, I played all these small towns in Montana and Idaho, um, where like you know, it, like the smallest town. Like I used to tell myself, I was like, I'm kind of lucky in a way because I'm playing. Nobody goes to these towns, like. You don't you don't take right. a flight to go to Butte, Montana. You know? like nobody nobody vacations in Great Falls, Montana, or Albany, in Idaho, you know, or whatever. And um, and I got this really interesting experience where I got to see like this big chunk of Americana in these towns where, you know, the populations, uh, the population of 
Albion, Idaho was 248 people. Are you kidding you know, me? You're like, if the whole town shows up, we got a show. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Come it, on, it get was, your brothers. Incredible experience. You know, we performed in a yurt, in a big tent, in a big, like, a, a, it's, you perform in what they call the yurt. And it's, it's a tent. What? It's just a big tent with no stage and a microphone. You don't even need the microphone because it's like, you know, 50 people in the room. Were the kids playing and, parachute? Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's just an amazing experience to stay in the like when that when that show ends, that town goes to sleep. Like there's no after party, there's no bar that's open, you know. But wow. then you go to towns like, you know, Missoula, Montana, or or um, you know, like Butte, Montana, where you're like the biggest celebrity they've seen ever, you know, because I have like a commercial, you know. They're like, oh my god, you're the guy from the commercial. That, that's how. And, I- at you you know you're like when i'm in salt lake i'm fucking like the 99 percent, the majority of women i'm not fucking the cream of the crop occupy pussy you know right, I mean? right, but right. Then, like you go to you go to butte montana and the hottest girl in montana wants to fuck you even if she's, she's married not as hot as the hottest girl in salt lake but she's the hottest girl in montana <laughs> Just, like, my perspective like, you're the hottest of these ogres Did confidence booster. Celebrity, and then it makes it hard to leave sometimes. But did, did, so that's kind of where I where I cut my teeth. I did that for years. I put two hundred forty thousand miles in my car, driving you know five hundred miles between gigs. Good um, lord! And I mean it's it's an adventure, man. I mean you want an adventure? You're making three hundred dollars a night as a headliner. I was an opening act, so I was making a hundred dollars or less per wow. show. You know, driving through blizzards. I mean, there's. I'm talking like this is pre GPS. <laughs> pre GPS. <laughs> Driving in, I mean, people had GPS. I didn't have, like, it was like a thing that some people had. And I was driving through fucking, like, the scariest. I remember going through, like, mountain passes on the way to Missoula, Montana, where we were supposed to be at the show an hour ago. And we're driving, and it's like 15 miles an hour. We've been on the road for nine hours on a drive that shouldn't take more than, like, four or five hours. And we've been on the road, and you can't even see the road anymore. There's no lights. You know where wow. you are, so like there's no street lights, you know, because you're in the <laughs> middle of a mountain pass, and you you have no idea that you're even on a road anymore, except for every like 15 minutes or so, a car will pass you, <laughs> and it's like I mean the driving conditions are so bad that you just turn the headlights off because you can't see anything, so you're just like, well, I can see better with the headlights right, off because right. I've got all the snow flurrying in so my face. It's terrifying. And, um, I'm not. I'm not in a Hummer. You know, I'm driving a Honda Accord, a '98 Honda Accord, with a, with a thirty dollars toolkit in the back. Down, you know? And it's just like this crazy, crazy adventure where you're going like, we need to. We we have flip phones and we're calling the club, going like, we're almost there. You know, just we think. stalling. You know, and and that's it. You know, you get to the show, you pull up into the driveway, and you run in. And before you have a chance to piss, you're on stage. You know, you're like, they've been waiting for us. Run. And you get on stage, you tell a bunch of dick jokes, and then next thing you know, they're buying you shots, and then you <laughs> pass out. And then you get back in the car, and you do it again the next day. It's the craziest Jesus, wow. thing. And you do it for no money. Like, there's, you can't afford Denny's on the money that they're paying you. I'm serious. Continental if you, breakfast. If you don't pack a cooler, you're going to go broke on these trips. So you pack a cooler with like peanut butter and jelly with like a bunch of lunch meats yes. and sandwiches and you live off of that because if you're making $100 a show and you're, you're carpooling with the headliner, which 
sounds fun for a day, right. but then like after a while, you're like a, a couple of neurotic comedians in a car together, <laughs> you know, spending eight hours a day in a car together and then sharing a hotel with each other. And you're doing these for like two or three weeks at a time, you know, driving all day, every day. It's just, it's too much time with somebody. You go crazy kill and you have to fucking like pack your own lunch so that you don't, so that you can afford to eat. If you're eating $10 a meal at Denny's and you do that three meals a day, that's $30. And then you're paying, you know, 40 or $50 a day in gas. You know, I mean, that's you can't afford to do that it's on $100 a, a gig. Dude, you were living worse than a college Crazy. student. What's that? You were living worse than a college student, in a sense. Oh, I, I, I wouldn't have traded places with a college student because I hated college. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, financially, yeah, it was, it was a lot worse. So what kind of pla- uh, what kind of places are you playing now in L.A.? Uh, well, I mean, now, the, the thing is, is, like, after that, like, I... Here's the thing. I, I don't have a good business model in my brain. I think that I do. I, I got these, like, <laughs> delusions of grandeur. But, you know, like, they, they say to me, um, they said to me a lot when I was younger, you know, don't worry about the money. You know, every comic I talk to, you know, like, yeah. don't worry about the money. Just get funny and the money will come. Mm-hmm. And it's not yeah. supposed to sound like a fucking limerick. I mean, that's right. just the way <laughs> sound it, advice. Just, be, just get funny and the money will come. That's what they kept telling me. So... I said, okay, I won't worry about the money. I'm just going to sit down and write jokes and get funnier and funnier and funnier to the point where, you know, the, the clubs would say, you shouldn't be opening, you should be headlining, come back and headline. And, and then you, I become a headliner and, and I didn't want to headline for a long time. I was nervous about it because <laughs> yeah. in my mind, like I said, I was nervous about doing comedy because I was like, I can't do what Jerry Seinfeld does. I can't right. do what George Carlin does. So, but at least I could open mic. That's what I would tell myself. I'm like, you could be an open micer. But then when they started telling me to headline, I was like, now you're asking me to sit, tell you that I think I'm as good as George Carlin or, or Jerry Seinfeld. You know, I'm like, you're to asking me to, to headline. And I don't, I'm not, I don't want to be someone's entertainment for the evening. You know, like, I don't want someone to say, we came out to see him and we're disappointed, you know, like, and so I was worried about that. And then a club kind of manipulated me into doing it. They were like, we have nobody. We need you. <laughs> and, um, and and I headlined uh, this a new comedy club opened in Salt Lake called Fat, Dumb, and Happies. It lasted for like six months before the other club ran them out of town. And um, and they, they told me, they're like, we don't have anyone to headline. We need someone. Wow. And I was like, if you want someone to talk for an hour, I'll talk for an hour. <laughs> I don't, have, I don't no have an hour act. And um, I surprised myself, and I always tell young comics this, because they're like, oh, I was offered a headlining gig, but I'm not ready. I'm like, you're not going to be ready until you just do it. Right, and yeah. you get on st- like you start panicking, and you start writing every joke you've ever written down, <laughs> and then you start doing, you know, like, you, you, so you got like this list of jokes that you're like, I haven't even done that joke in three years, but it's going to work, you know, or whatever. And um, it's got to work, you know, um, yeah. I've got to sell it. And then you start doing, you start thinking about crowd work, you're like, okay, I'm going to talk about this, I'm going to, I'm going to pull someone out of the audience, and, and make fun of them or whatever, and I'm going to improvise. And um, and then, so the first show that I do, my first headliner set of the weekend, it was at a comedy club, so I was there for a weekend. Um, Daniel Baldwin shows up with a movie with a movie cast, like a cast of a movie shows up, and uh, this guy named oh, Doug Hutchison, who you might remember from The Green Mile, um, he okay. was the bad guy in The Green Mile. Oh, yeah, he was yeah, lost yeah. to 24. He was the guy yeah. in Green Mile that kills the mouse. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And all these, and Donnie Most. Do you remember Donnie yeah, Most? Yeah, 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 from Happy, Happy Days. Days. Yeah. yeah, and and like all, like this whole cast of this movie that was filming in town shows up, and Daniel Baldwin's like, hey, 
Um, you recognize Daniel Baldwin because he looks exactly yeah, like Daniel yeah, right. Baldwin, and he was kind of famous at the time because I think he was doing like celebrity rehab or something. Or maybe that was <laughs> but um, as most people up, get famous, he shows up and he's like, "I want to do a spot," and I brought all these people from this movie set. It's the producer's daughter's birthday or something, and we want to like, wow, you know, entertain her for the night. And I was like, "Do you want to go before me or after me?" Because I feel like if you brought the crowd, you should probably go after me because if everyone's like only here to see you yeah. and uh, he's like uh, he's like no 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 I'll, I'll go first just get it out of the way and whatever and um, I was told to be clean during this comedy show because you know it's <laughs> in Orem Utah and everything and he goes up on stage and he's a filthy filthy motherfucker <laughs> and just, just telling like these dirty dirty jokes and I remember my, my opening line it, it relaxed me a little bit but I was still kind of nervous oh I should mention Nobody showed up to the comedy club. Like, the managers didn't show up. The staff didn't show up. What One the girl shows up with the keys and opens the doors. Wow. And, like, there's, like, a, there's like this whole film crew. I was like, they didn't expect anyone to be there, you know? And there's, like, this fucking... It's, like, a sold-out show. Brought, like, everyone that's working on this movie. And there's no one to run the concession stand. There's nobody to fucking take tickets. So I'm there, like, taking their tickets, popping their popcorn, taking <laughs> their drinks and stuff. Shining their I, shoes. And everyone gets seated, and then I get on stage, and I'm like, hey, I'm the guy that's fucking drinking <laughs> And I'm your headlining guy. Uh, so, and I mean, I have, like, a background in the restaurant industry, so it wasn't too, too crazy. But, uh, uh, too, too that's awesome. Stretch. But, um... But I, I go on stage after Daniel Baldwin, he's so filthy, and I was like, these guys told me to be clean, but I'm guessing that since you're still here, you know, like, <laughs> and there's no managers, show like Bill Clinton cigar humidor, and let's just have a little fun with it, you know, <laughs> it's a little tainted, you know, but there's no point in trying to keep it clean now. So um, I had a great, I got a standing ovation after, I did like an hour and ten minutes, and and they love me, and like all these guys, like all these LA dudes, gave me their numbers, and like they're like, "Hey man, when you get to LA, look me up." And uh, I remember particularly this guy Doug Hutchison, the guy that was in the Green Mile. He gave me his number, and he's like, "Hey man, when you come to LA, you know, let me know, and I'll help you out." And uh, he he did, you know, to his to his credit, he did. Like he wow. um, he took good. me to movie premieres and introduced me to a lot of big people when I first got here. When I got to LA, like my my trajectory was very much on the up and up. Yeah, I kind of fucked like a lot of shit up, but um, but uh, yeah, like everything was going really well for me when I first moved here, and it was I, I attribute a lot of that to Doug. Um, That's amazing. He, he obviously has like a crazy girlfriend or wife now, and, and uh, doesn't return calls. But he's um, he was a really cool guy, and I'll always be grateful to him for that. So um, that kind of so when that happened, and I became a headliner, that changed the game really completely for me because oh, yeah. um, uh, it changed the clubs that I would play. Um, it, the, the comedy club in Salt Lake um, had me back to, they had this thing called the Rocky Mountain Laugh-Off, which was like a big comedy competition that's like only for pros. And <laughs> wow. um, that was like the first time they had me back was to play that. They invited me back. And I was the only one of the blacklisted comics that was invited to do that. Wow. And I think they did it in a way because they, they didn't think I was funny and they thought that this was going to be their chance to shame me in front of, you know, all their, you know, in front of all their comics and say, like, look, you know, the, club, the bar comics aren't as funny as the club comics. Why, and, what happened um, What happened where you got blacklisted? Was it just because of your material? Or? They blacklisted me because I did, they, because I opened the other rooms, because I, oh, I started okay. what they called the underground comedy movement. Okay. And I started doing other rooms, and they were like, anyone that plays with Cena, anyone that performs with Cena, they're, they're blacklisted from our comedy club. They did okay. that to like try to scare us. Gotcha. You know, and, and because they consider us competition because we had like these, I was a really good promoter. I had like really packed shows. 
Here's the thing about it, though, that they didn't. I kept trying to emphasize to them. I'm not competing with you. I'm performing on nights when you're closed. Right. You know, like right. my show on Sunday night started at ten. They don't have a ten o'clock Sunday show. You know, and then like the rest of my shows are Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And I pick. I specifically picked days that they were dark. So it's no imposition. Because I'm, I'm not an idiot. You know, I don't want to compete <laughs> right. with the fucking comedy club that's got a big budget. I don't have a budget. You know, so <laughs> I'm gonna do comedy on nights when they're dark. And we still had packed shows. But they they were, and I was like, why work against me? Why not work with me? Yeah, you know, at least like, get, at least get the comedy scene come going. And book your shows or whatever, or, or promote your shows for you and perform on, on your stages. But they were so convinced that they that they didn't want to do that. So so they invited me back as a way of like I'm it's me and then a bunch of their club guys and then like you know headliners from LA and stuff like that you know that are trying to you know kind of boost their because you know, if you if you do well in the competition and Seattle there's a lot of guys from Seattle and LA there. If you do well in the competition, obviously you're going to get booked in more clubs and stuff like that. You well, know, yeah, you spread the, the wealth a little bit. The Rocky Mountain laugh off, and also you know the Booker introduces you to his friends and whatever. Right, it's exposure. So, um, so I I go into this thing. This is like I was going to move to LA, and then they invited me to do this thing, and I was like, well, I'll do this, and then I'll go to LA right after this. So this is yeah. like October 2008, and um, and my first show with these guys, I went in there with the same mentality I had early on in my career where I was like, I'm not going to fail. I'm right. not going to fail. Yeah. This this is, I can fail in my whole career, but this is a fuck you to them. This is yeah. my, uh, <laughs> this is my uh, all valley tournament from like, you know, from, from, uh, you know, karate kid, you know, like this is, this is my chance to get the Cobra Kai back. That's, so, there you go. Awesome. So, yeah, like these guys have kicked my ass too many times and I'm not going to fail at, at this. Not right before I moved to LA. So, I go on stage the first night, and the first night's at this bar in Rock Springs, Wyoming, and this is my element. I've been performing in bars for the last five years, you know, and or five or six years, and so um, I uh, I go on stage and I got a perfect score. Like nice. like it, it, they let they let the audience judge it, and I got like tens from everybody that you know that voted or whatever, right. and uh, that was like unheard of. You know, they were like That's nobody awesome, nobody's gotten a perfect score. <laughs> Nobody that night was even close, you know, and um, and then like the show, the 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 fest, I think the competition is like six days, and you do nine shows if I remember right. Okay. And like halfway through or like four or five days in, I was unbeatable. I was first place in every single spot, every every single show, you know, that we did. This guy would have made me out of um, There were every, everyone was talking like the comics were like, dude. We're all just battling for second place at this point. There's no way you're going to. Uh, I love how that guy's all quiet, like no one can see. I know. <laughs> I know he's Ain't like no a, mind to the man behind us. <laughs> he's hoping it just blends in. Two white guys and a black guy comes out of nowhere. <laughs> what up, y'all? It's, it's all pixelated from yeah. where I'm from, so it looks kind of like OJ's. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> That's yeah. actually. We actually me out. Yeah, we thought he was gonna rob us. It's a home invasion scene. I call somebody, please. I, <laughs> yeah, well, not, not a lot of help, but at least this will be. You know, exhibit A. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you would have made freaking Mr. Miyagi proud with the way you just came, went back there and kicked him right in the teeth. I Dude, mean, that's it was, awesome. it was that's one cool. of the greatest moments of my life. So, so they're like, there's no way we can win. Um, I ended up getting third place. And then I found out from one of the comics that used to work there uh, contacted me recently on Facebook. And we were talking and getting buddy-buddy. And I was like, you know, why was, what was up with all the beef? Why did we... You know, why, what was all the problems, man? He's like, you know, I don't know. He's like, the owner of the club was 
putting a lot of pressure on us to not work with you and stuff like that. And so that's why we all kind of had a beef with you and stuff. And um, But I left that club because there was beef even before that. Right. Like, I felt uncomfortable being there. Yeah. But he told me, he confided in me, he's like, you know, they changed the score so that you wouldn't win. What? And I was like, really? You're shitting me. Because like, the grand prize was like two grand or five grand or something like that. Holy shit. And I was like, I could have used that fucking money. And I, was like, <laughs> I was so broke. You could have eaten at Denny's. What's that? You could have eaten at Denny's. No, I'm serious. Yeah, like, when I moved here, I was living on one meal a day for a year and a half. Because I couldn't afford to eat. I was so fucking broke, but I was like, if you keep dragging it out, you're never going to go. Right. So I just fucking just came here with the clothes on my back and $1,000 in the bank. And that was gone. Like, I had no idea how little like $1,000 is. And, well, um, especially in L.A. Yeah. No, I spent $1,000 in parking tickets my first month. <laughs> <laughs> fucking California. Yeah, I was broke and living. I maxed out my credit card and shit. Right. So, so yeah, so I came out here and um, within a couple of months, within like three or four months, I became like a regular at like the improv and the laugh factory. Um, I'm still not a regular at the comedy store, but I was performing a lot at the ice house and stuff. Nice. And um, yeah, a lot, a lot went well for me in the first like six months I was here. I got an agent like right away. Wow. He saw me perform at the laugh factory and he signed me right away. Um, so would you yeah, say, would you say, would you say your confidence went up as soon as you hit LA? Like was, was that like the point of like, no, awesome. no, that's actually, my confidence went up recently. My confidence dropped big time when I moved to L.A. because um, I was really confident in Salt Lake, um, but I felt like, I felt like a Canadian, um, what do they call it, the, the Canadian uh, arena football guys, you know what I mean? I felt like an arena <laughs> football player. Sissies? Sissies? I don't know. I felt like I'd been playing arena football. And, and I was, like, the best at arena football. And then I came here, and all of a sudden, I felt like I was in the show. You know, I felt yeah. like I was like, this is the NFL. Yep. And I suddenly felt woefully unprepared. I felt really insecure about my material. Um, I came here, and I, had, I, I started working at a comedy club as a bartender um, in exchange for stage time. Nice. And I heard a bunch of comics ripping off my material that I had on YouTube because I'd, I'd uploaded it. Right. I yeah. flooded YouTube with a bunch of stuff, at, at, you know, at, in the first five years of my career, you know, stuff from the road and whatever. And I heard a bunch of it on stage, and um, wow. like I heard at least probably like ten minutes of my material on stage, wow. and I confronted a couple of guys about it. One of them did it on Comedy Central. Like one of the guys got on Comedy Central and did one of my bits. What? You're and shitting I me. was like, "What's that?" You're shitting me, really? Yeah. Well, it was like it wasn't like I could prove it. I mean, other than I had like a tape of me doing it and shared in Wyoming, right? You know, and then and then this guy's doing a simplified version of it. Um, I did a bit where I said uh, drunk, uh, drunk driving should be legal and they should just take the cops off the road and just give us a drunk driving hour from two to three and just let us get home. <laughs> and, uh, like I was like, if everyone's, if everyone's drunk, you know, and there's like a drunk driving hour, you know, then who cares if we can show, you know, it's bumper cars. Auto, like, Autobahn. Like, you know, like what's the big deal? And that was the, that was the essence of the bit. It's kind of like a one minute rant on drunk driving. And, uh, and then this guy, I heard this guy basically go on stage and he was like, ah, drunk driving's not a big deal. He's like, they sh we should have a drunk driving hour, you know? So oh, like, fuck it, let's just see what happens or whatever. So it was like a simplified version of the rant. Yeah. And, um, and then I heard a guy, I have a bit about sand niggers, you know, where I say that like sand niggers not a real racial slur because it's just sand in front of someone else's racial slur. <laughs> <laughs> Piggybacking insults. Yeah, well, I'm like, I'm like, I can't even embrace that. You know, like I can't walk into a hookah bar and be like, where my sand niggers at? You know? <laughs> I'm gonna get not not going to get you a street cred. Nigga, you know, and um, 
And I was like, that's just lazy racism, man. Give me my own word. Like George Lucas called us Jawas. You know, yeah, right. Jawas that. So I was like, I want my own word, man. Don't fucking, don't say that. And then I came here and I heard someone else doing a joke about that. You know, about sand, you know, sand niggers and how it's not a real racial slur. And then um, the, the, the one that was like word for word, right. there was one that a guy just took like the whole joke. Um, it was such an easy premise. But here's the thing. He's a Persian comic. And he's blowing up. Like, he was blowing up at the time. He'd only been doing comedy for, like, three or four years. Of course. And, um, and he was, like, getting really huge at that time. And he was, like, uh, he was doing a bit about uh, hand jobs and how, like, how, how do girls fuck up hand jobs? It's the easiest thing in the world because you can see everything you're working with in the shop that has some balls. Like, it's right there in front of you. Like, it's not like – I can understand why guys can't go down on girls because you – you fucking have to put like a miner's cap on. You know, like, it's a fucking you're, Rubik's cube. It looks like you're operating on an eye. You know, most of the time, they pull the covers over your head. Or fucking turn the lights out because they're like, ah, don't look at me. But yeah. then you're just fucking relying on audio signals. You know, like, I, if you're not making noise, if you're biting your lip, then I have no fucking idea what you're doing this right. You know, like I could be sucking on your fucking belly button for the next ten minutes. Don't fucking emphasize that this is good. So, like, I, did, I he stole. He, it's like a long bit. It's like a two minute bit two or three minute bit, and he stole like every punchline from it and like used it. And so I approached him after one of his sets and I was like, hey man, that's my joke. And he's like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, here's the thing. You're a Persian comic and that joke has nothing to do about, nothing to do with being Persian or Middle Eastern or anything like that. So I feel like what are the chances that another Persian comic comes up with that same joke word for word? Right. Statistically, it seems impossible. Yeah, but unlikely. It, but it does seem possible to me that you Googled Persian comedy, my videos came up, and you watched it, and you thought it was a good bit, and you used it. Right. Here's the thing. He didn't even deny it. He just said to me, he was like, yeah, well, there's a couple of us around town doing that same bit. And he's like, there's this guy doing it, and this guy, and these are all like big comics. And he's like, yeah, that guy does a bit, does this bit, and I do this bit, and a couple of other guys oh. do this bit. We've all just agreed not to do it in the same show. And he's like, so if you see me for a show, we'll just talk, we'll talk it over and see who's going to do the bit that night. And wow. I'm like, that's not the way this works, dude. I'm like, I wrote that joke and I spent, you know, years on the road working on it and making sure it was funny and whatever. And I was like, and you're, you're just, just taking it. it. Like, right. you just, you just, you, you cut it. We're in a NASCAR race and you cut across the infield. You know, like, and, and you're, you're telling me that. I can cut across the infield too, you know, like, yeah. but, you know, but just not at the same time you're doing it. So as, and I was like, it's just not fair. So you know? as and, a comic in LA, is that something that you, that you experience often? Is that something that, that is prevalent in the, in the industry or? Um, I wouldn't say it's necessarily just about LA. I mean, the thing about LA is that everyone, the pressure's higher here, you know, like the stakes are raised. Um, if you're funny here, you're, you're, you make you it anywhere. a television deal out of it. Yeah. You know, if the reason I came here was I got tired of performing for drunks in Salt Lake where I was like, <laughs> these guys love me, but big deal. What are they going to do? You know, if yeah. I can hook me up with lumber, you know, or whatever. <laughs> I mean, like it's, it's, there's no big offers that they can give me. Yeah. But, um, but you come to LA and, um, and suddenly you perform in front of the right guy and he can become an eight. He's an agent that, you know, sends me on auditions and gets me on television, you know, and that's what happened at the lap factory. Um, and, uh, and so, so yeah, I mean, it's a little bit more prevalent. The thing about it is this. If someone's going to steal your material, they're going to steal your material. Well, yeah. I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, there's guys ripping off Calvin Klein's cologne. You know, there's guys That's ripping right. off Tommy Hilfiger's clothing and just putting a fake logo on it. People are going to steal your shit no matter how copyrighted it is. Yeah. Uh, so you, all you can do is just 
the, the thieves are always going to be one step behind you because they're following you. True. So you just have to stay ahead of them. You can't become married to any of your stuff. You can't get emotionally attached to it. You just have to write and um, and keep hoping that, that what you're doing is, is better than than what they're taking, you know, yeah. and, and hopefully that's kind of the way it works. I, I don't think I've experienced too much theft since I've become established here, like, because I think now people would feel, respect. Oh, I think someone would shame them if yeah. somebody stole, yeah. Yeah. you know, they would say, hey, I know somebody who's doing that same bit, but well, you never know, I mean, someone might be doing it somewhere. It's kind of like, uh, you know, John just passed me a love note, and, uh, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, the big thing was a couple years ago with Carlos Mencia. Yeah, you know, yeah. and and a lot of people get after Dane Cook and you yeah. know those kinds of guys because they steal material, yeah. they rip it well, from other people. Here's the thing about it though: the the comics go after them, but the clubs right. and the and the and the audiences encourage it. Right, because they're drawing. Watch that video where Joe Rogan calls out Mencia. Right. Someone yells out, "He does it better. Who cares?" Mm -hmm. You know, and Jeez. it's like so so because he's doing because he's performing it better. We don't care. Right. Um, curve, it LA's, LA's it. a town of performers, and New York's a town of writers. You know, like right. like yeah. good writers come out of New York, great performers come out of LA, and so they don't care whose material they're doing. They're out there to get a sitcom. They're not out there to get a writing gig. Right. So, right. You know, they don't care if they're stealing your material. Well, and how often are you like when you're doing your act? How often are you kind of coming up with new material? Is it a constant like engine that's always turning, and you're kind of introducing as you go, or? Um. Yeah. I mean, you you try to. I, 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 I'm a big, I come from, I have a big improv background, like okay. I do improv comedy and stuff, and um, so for that reason, I get bored if it's the same shit every night, right. like I can't yeah. do it word for word exactly the same every night, because I, I'm an audience to my own act, you know, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm listening yeah. to it as much as the audience is, and even if the audience is different and they've never heard it before, I'm probably saying it a little bit different, um, I started. I stopped recording myself for a while, but I started uh, just setting an MP3 player on the stage every mm -hmm. night. And if I say something a specific way that gets a, a good laugh, right. I'll try to like listen. I'll go back and listen to it and go like, "What was that? What did I say? Like that that joke got a bigger laugh than normal right. or whatever." Um, Constantly improving. Like I said, you kind of get like when I first I stopped recording myself because I I used to hate it, like emotionally hate it <laughs> because you're your worst critic, you know. Yeah. And you, you, You'll listen to yourself having a good set and tell yourself, I, I suck. You know, you're like, fuck, this, this could have been better or whatever. And, um, and I, started, um, I started listening to myself again because I was like, you know what? I don't need uh, – I can suck and still know that I'm funny. Right. You know? so, like now it's more like an athlete who just watches himself. Um, you know, like we, when we used to play football, coach used to like play the tape from last weekend and be like, this is where you made a mistake. This is where you, know, you should have done this, you should have done that. Right. And uh, and you learn from it. And that's kind of where I'm at now. So, like, Constantly so I'll record it. Um, and I generally will listen to it, you know, when I'm driving in the car or, like, just sitting in traffic or something like that. But, yeah, you have to constantly – it's a constant growing process. Like, I've, I've found that, like, I'll cannibalize my act a little bit sometimes. Like, I'm doing a big show this Monday at the this bar down the street called The Parlor. Okay. And it's cool. booked by this guy who used to book, like, the biggest show at the Laugh Factory and – He's wow. the guy who discovered Dane Cook and all these wow. big comics and whatever. And um, he, he's a, he runs a big room, and he's always got big crowds and, and a lot of industry follow him and stuff. And, uh, and I was thinking about, like, what I'm going to do because I'm like, I don't feel like my regular stuff is good enough. You know, like, it's not – I really got to step it up. This is the Super Bowl kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So I got I to gotta do good. And so you'll can I'll cannibalize my act and, like, re I'll take, like, these punchlines that were in different bits, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to take all the words – all the all the unnecessary setup out of this, and just take the punchlines and gonna rework them into a different bit, 
um, and see if it, you know, and I'm like, it's, it's like this weird way of like writing a new bit. It's like they're yeah. old punchlines that I know work, but I'm going to put them in, in, in a different scenario because I know that the punchlines would work just on their own. I could just write them on Twitter and they'll get retweets, right. you know, or I could <laughs> yeah. write them on Facebook and they'll get likes or whatever. Right. The punchlines alone are, are, they can stand alone. So I just got to find a way of like compacting them so there's more punchlines, you know, in a shorter amount of time, you know, so there's less time me talking and more, more laughs, you know, and, and you'll do that. Sometimes you're on stage, you'll improvise a line and it gets a laugh and you just remember that. Um, <laughs> that happens all the time, you know, where awesome. it's just something comes out spontaneous, uh, and the spontaneous moment or whatever. And, um, and and it's it, it, you're you're like wow I couldn't have written that if I sat down right. for a thousand years you know? right and probably, I mean that's uh, that's how in a lot of my situations in life not it's usually the improv that comes through that really makes that the yeah. humor yeah I mean I think that couldn't be yeah. funny if I sat down and wrote anything I couldn't be funny yeah. to save my damn life well <laughs> it's know? funny because when you write you find yourself becoming an actor you know yes. like if you yeah. if you write yep. you have to perform it right. well as an actor. But right. if you just improvise it, that's just you being funny. That's the the you that told you at one point that you're funny enough to do comedy. Right. That person, that person doesn't know how to come out on stage. You know, like that's why you start writing in the first place, so that you go up there with some kind of an outline or a template. Right. But when that you, when that funny you actually comes out on stage, that's you. That's the funny you that thought you could be a comic. Right. That's that's a, that's the best you'll ever be. You know, right. when you're sitting around with friends just laughing and joking. I'll actually write that stuff down, you know, when we're like just joking and bouncing ideas off of each other. And I go, you know what, that's really funny. And then I'll just kind of write it down, you know, or whatever. And I've actually got, I've set the MP3 player when we're like, when we got a good volley going back and forth. Yeah. I mean, I'll put the MP3 player on in my pocket and they don't even know. I'm recording it. I'm like, this is good shit, you know, like, you know, these, these might be premises, these might be good punchlines, you know, like, right. and you can, you know, once you have a great line, I remember I was joking with my friend. And I was like saying that I want to go to the, I'm like, I feel like strip clubs are always overhyped, you know? And I was like, we always talk about going to strip clubs and they're always overhyped. And, um, and I was like, you guys, you guys feel like, uh, you guys make me feel like we're going to Disneyland or like the happiest strip club on earth. <laughs> and then my buddy goes, Disneyland? <laughs> that is great. Down, and then I wrote down Coxberry Farm and Big Black <laughs> Mountain and then I wrote a bit around it. You know? like, That's fucking hilarious that my buddy said Disneyland. <laughs> we were like, it would have never happened if we weren't having that conversation, right, if yeah. I didn't say Disneyland and strip club right. in the same sentence, you know? And, um, you know, I mean, that's, it's just, it's a, it's a huge fucking vault, a huge well of comedy comes out of just you and your buddies joking around or just you improvising on stage, you know? I mean, I, I can't write nearly as good as I can just think. Right. And um, right. I've often said that, like, watching me remember stuff on stage is painful. <laughs> It's natural. It's a natural flow for you. Yeah. Yeah. I think most of the humor that we do with this, you know, this amateur podcast thing or whatever, but I think most of the people that listen to us who find us funny is because we do that premise where it's it's off the cuff. We don't do multiple takes. We kind of just sit there and kind of bullshit with your buddy, and that's, right. what, that's usually where, like you said, comedy gold will pop out yeah. more, more, more of the funny stuff. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, do you have any? Do you have any? Interesting. Yeah. That? Yeah. No, I would say. Uh, do you have any advice for like? comedians like our dumbasses to like you know that want to to get ourselves out there to be, get ourselves known well I mean there's there's two elements to this business um, there's the art and if you if you are super focused on being an artist 
you're gonna find yourself playing a lot of coffee houses and not making money, and if you can stay right. true to your art. Um, and then there's the business, which is uh, a lot different from that, um, which is where we they want to find funny people, but they're more interested in marketable than they are in, right. in funny. Yeah, they can package um, so Hence George Lopez. This is this is an analogy I used to tell people uh, when when I would ask for when people would ask me for advice. I would say, sorry, by the way, I'm like literally swallowing vomit. That's okay. <laughs> That's, uh, that is awesome. Commitment. Yeah. I like it. Uh, and it's not it's nothing personal. You guys <laughs> are very handsome. It's, it's, <laughs> it's okay. My, my family knows what they have. Yeah. No, I, I fucking got so drunk last night. I'm uh, still I'm, drunk right now. Okay? Um, couldn't tell. Uh, yeah. Can you? <laughs> no. Um, the, the uh, by the way, I have an audition in an hour. Oh so, shit! Good <laughs> boy. A big audition at two in the morning, two, two in the afternoon, and I'm this fucking drunk. This is how much. I, this is why my career is in the toilet. Right now. <laughs> it's I, commitment. Uh, That's what I like. My advice that I would give you is this: um, if you take two people, okay, mm-hmm. one guy is living in, say, Missoula, Montana, mm-hmm. and he decides he wants to be a comic. And he watches comics coming through his town, and he studies them, and then he goes to the bar, and he performs every single night, and he goes home, and he writes, and he commits himself to this craft. And he's like, I'm going to be the best comic that's ever lived. And for 25 years, all he does is study comedy and write and perform seven nights a week, multiple shows a night, and just every single night he's just working on his craft, and he's going to be... He's, you know, swinging a hammer for his day job and then going uh, every night to the comedy club and he's working it out. He's in the gym, like Tyson in the gym. He's nothing but his socks and his, you know, no socks, just fucking shoes and, and you know, bare feet, you know, and it's just like, <laughs> fucking, that's it, you know, just the shorts and the shoes and just in the gym, working it out every single night. And 25 years later, he's literally the funniest comic to ever walk the earth. And he comes to LA or he goes to... Any, he goes to City X, you know, I mean, right. you know, any town USA, and he goes to the comedy club, and he says, I'm the funniest comedian that's ever lived, here's a tape, here's, you know, I've got three and a half hours of material, I can improvise, I can perform, I'm like, I'm the best thing that's ever walked into your comedy club, and, but nobody knows about me, right. I'm going to be, you're going to discover me, you're going to be the guy that discovered the funniest comic that's ever lived. <laughs> And then at the same time, while this guy's pitching himself to the booker, saying, like, you need to hire me, and the guy's watching his tape going, you're the funniest guy I've ever seen. I've never seen someone as funny as you. At the same time, Brad Pitt walks in the room, or Johnny Depp, and he says, I've never done comedy a day in my life. Never set foot on a comedy stage. Don't even know what stand-up comedy really is about. Right. But I want to try it. Let's work together. Right. That guy's going to put Brad Pitt on stage six shows a night, uh, sold yeah. out every single night. Why? Because Brad Pitt's going to sell tickets. Right. He's going to put asses in those seats. People are going to come. They're going to drink. Why? Because Brad Pitt's in town doing comedy. Right. So <laughs> that's the business. The business is this. That guy might become an opening act for Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. That guy might become an opening act for a few other guys. But the fact of the matter is you got to get on stage. you got to get good because... The worst thing that can happen, which is worse, if, if, you, if that doesn't sound like the worst thing that can happen, it sounds awful, but it's yeah. actually not, because that guy's going to get an opportunity in five years or in ten years. He's going to be funny for a very long time, and he's been putting work out there. I mean, like, he made Pootie Tank. He wrote and directed Pootie Tank. Nobody knows that, you know? Like, he's, he's done a lot of stuff, yeah. but he's become the best comic in the world 
until recently, you know, until he, he had his own show called Lucky Louie. Nobody <laughs> watched it. It was canceled. You yeah, know, but like now, that. all of a sudden, he's the biggest comic yeah. in the world. Why? Yeah. Because something struck. You know, yeah. the time was right or whatever. Right. Being funny will only benefit you. And that, being, being the best at what you do, will, the cream will eventually rise to the top. But that's not the worst thing that can happen. The worst thing that can happen is someone offers you a gig and you, you're not ready for it. And you're, and you're not good enough. And um, that can hurt you. Um, that, that opportunity might not come again. You know, like wow. if that guy, if Brad Pitt didn't walk in the room and that guy said, hey, I want you to headline the room tonight and you're just not good enough. Like if you're not funny enough. So it's got, you've got to be funny. Right. But you've also got to understand the business. You got to understand it takes time, and you got to be patient, and you got to just keep working. Like you can't give up. Um, if it's something you really want to do, you really shouldn't have a reason to give up. I right. mean, I tried quitting last year because I was just over it. I was like, I've been doing this for twelve years, uh, acting and comedy and everything, and I don't know anything better. I, I like, I don't know anything outside of this. I dropped out of college to do this, and. Um, I was really depressed with where my life was, and I uh, I made a movie and it won all these awards, and um and I wrote some of it, and I got fucked over big time by the production company. Like they didn't give me credit for writing it, they didn't give me um, they didn't give me title billing credit, they didn't they never paid me for it, and the movie went on to make a lot of money, and the people that were in it got a lot of exposure and got a lot of big deals out of it, and I chose to be bitter and I chose to fuck up my attitude. These are things that. Like I said, I was living on one meal a day, right. and then I got fired from my job so on Christmas Eve. So oh, this this gig, <laughs> I put a lot of eggs in this basket, kind of a thing. Yeah. You know? And my agent hadn't sent me on an audition in like nine months for whatever reason, but I was booking a lot of stuff before this happened. So like my whole my whole life kind of downward spiraled, and I let it affect me. Right. And yeah, you I could justify it. I can say, oh well, this is what happened, and this is what happened. That's why I downward spiraled. But the fact of the matter is, I chose to let this affect me. Yeah. I could have chosen to not let my breakup affect me with my girlfriend. I could have chosen right. to you know, not let my agent not sending me out affect me. I could have chosen a lot of different choices. But I was living on one meal a day. I'm super broke. I go on food stamps, which is actually, the food stamps was better than when I had a job. Holy because shit. I was eating. You know, like, I was yeah, like, yeah. better. <laughs> Funny how that three works. Meals a day. But I felt so shitty doing it. I don't know. I've been paying into the system since I was 13 years old, right. and I still felt guilty taking money. But anyway, I only did it for two months. I, I move. I tell my mom, I'm like, Mom, my credit card's maxed out. I have no money. I'm, I have no food in my fridge. I have no. My roommates had taken my money that I was giving for rent, and they've taken it and pocketed it, and Holy for three months, just, just bailed. And so, like, I was left in this apartment with no utilities, wow. no, no, you know, no heat, no electricity, no internet, or anything like that. I got this movie at Sundance. That's like the biggest thing at Sundance. It's win it wins the Audience Award. I'm there. One of the people that I waited on paid for my ticket. They 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 flew me to Salt Lake to go to go to Sundance. I sold out a show. I did a show back. It was like my first show back since I moved to LA. So I sold out a show, twenty bucks a ticket, and I did a door deal. So I got to keep all that money. Nice. Um, it was like two grand or something like that that I made, um, and uh, and I fucking I go out to Salt Lake and I'm a celebrity in Salt Lake. Like the, <laughs> That's I'm, awesome. I'm performing. I'm getting standing ovations at the comedy club, and you know because of the popularity of the film, we're getting yelled at on the street. You know, like people are yeah, right. the circumstance. People are like interrupting our meals. You know, they're coming up to us like, hey, I just want to let you know. You're, 
Jason uh, Reitman. Do you know mm -hmm. who that is? Like the guy who made uh, Up in the Air, mm -hmm. he made Juno. The director. He's yeah. Ivan Reitman's son. Jason Reitman comes up to us and tells us he loves our film. You know, he's like, I wow. really love your film. He's on the panel. He's on the um, he's on the jury okay. at, uh, at Sundance. Sundance. And he comes up and he's like, he's like, I got to tell you, you guys made an incredible film. Uh, I was just I'm blown away by it. You know, you guys were amazing and all this stuff. And then he walks away, and we're like, holy shit, Jason Reitman just fucking interrupted our meal <laughs> yeah. to tell us that he's a fan. And, and then 30 minutes later, when he's getting ready to leave, he walks back over, and he's like, I just can't emphasize enough how much I loved your wow, film. You know, like, wow. And I'm just like, he didn't have to do that twice. No. You know, he didn't have to do it once, but he, he definitely didn't have to do it twice. And and we're, you know, people, like, a, a van full of women pulls up, and they're like, get in. We're like, what? <laughs> and they're like, get in. You know, we're going to go party. We're, we're on the list of all the parties. I'm partying with, like, James Franco. I'm partying with uh, Paul Rudd and all these other... And T I Holy made friends shit. with T.J. Miller during this. I mean, it was crazy. T.J. Miller's hilarious. And then I fly yeah. back to, to L.A., and I'm homeless. And I have nothing. And I'm sitting in this apartment with... There's nothing in it. There's just... I have a twin bed that I've been sleeping on and, and you know, my computer. And, but I don't have the internet, <laughs> so I'm using like the wife, the manager of the apartment complex. Let me use her Wi-Fi to find a new apartment. And I talked to my mom, and my mom was like, and I was like, Mom, I have no money. I don't have a my credit card maxed. I have no job, and um, and I and I didn't I didn't know what to do. I was like, if I have kind of two or three options. Yeah. One option is, I I keep my gym membership. <laughs> and I sleep in my car, and I shower at the gym, right, and yeah. I, I maintain a, a as much of a normal life as I can. Right. Um, which wouldn't be the first time I'd done that. Um, and then and then the uh, the other option was I was like I can move to the ghetto. I know of an apartment in the in the hood that's seven hundred dollars. <laughs> in the hood, um, John, you know about month. that. Okay. <laughs> no, it, it it was it was rough. I mean, I posted a lot of videos on Facebook about like I mean I moved. Like, um, I was like, I can move to the ghetto. The apartment was less than 100 square feet. It was Holy really small. Holy shit. Wow. It didn't have a closet. <laughs> it was a closet. Yeah. <laughs> the room I have in this apartment is bigger than my whole apartment was. I didn't have a closet. It was like a, sh it was like a prison shower. I mean, you couldn't even open your arms in the shower. Like, you're just in there, like, Holy you know. Holy shit, dude. And, um, and that was like the shower in the bathroom. And then I had a small stove and... Um, and a sink, which a lot of the units didn't even have a stove. And people were dying from asthma attacks, to give you an idea of how poor these people were. I mean, like, people couldn't Jesus. afford shit. Wow. So, I mean, like, a woman died from an asthma attack. The guy in the unit next to me was killed by the Crips. Like, they broke down his door, put him on his knees <laughs> in his bathroom, they cornered him in his bathroom, and they executed him in his bathroom. And the unit next to me. And I'm like, thank God they got the right unit. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> Neutral colors or some yeah. shit. Jesus. It was it was a big blood neighborhood. There was a lot of crack dealing going on outside my window. I was on the I was on the uh, ground level, and um, I mean, like you can't with the unit that small, you can't you know keep your windows closed. Right. Um, so like, I mean, it was just my windows were open. All I heard outside, you know, was just like gang violence and you know fucking like I just I hold up in that apartment Damn, and smoke weed all geez. day every day. But um, but I was like, it's either that. Or go home, right. or sleep in my car, right. or like the other option was. I also looked at like people that were looking for, you know, like I'm renting a room kind of a thing. Right. But the only ones that I could afford yeah. were like partitioned, you know, like you could live in my living room yeah. and there's, yeah. there's a curtain, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and I was like, I'd rather just spend the seven hundred dollars and and do that. And um, and I was working at this little cafe, 
I find I got a job at this little cafe. I was making like thirty or forty dollars a day, and wow. um, and it was it was just it was miserable. And and so to have that juxtaposed with being a celebrity right, and, yeah. for, for a couple of weeks, and to, and to know that that production company fucked me over. And I talked to a lawyer, and he's like, they owe you like ten to forty thousand dollars. You know, like it's he's like wow. you can sue them right now for a lot of money. And I was just so hurt and so pissed off. And I was like, dude, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I was like, I don't, right. I don't have the energy to do this anymore. Yeah. Like I'm working. Uh, I, at that point, I was working three jobs. I got three jobs because I was making no money at any of them, <laughs> just to just to be able to, to support myself. Yeah. And I'm working seven days a week, and I just didn't want. I, I'm like, I'm getting off work and going to the comedy store and hanging out with the hopes that they put me on stage. Right. You know? Yeah. And I was, you know, going to open mics, and I was like, you've been doing comedy for I think seven years at this point, seven or eight years at this point. And I was like, dude, really? Like, you you can go to Utah and sell out. Right. You can go to Arizona and sell out. You can go to Denver and sell out. You can go to Seattle and sell out. You have an audience. Yeah. But no one in LA gives a fuck. Yeah. And, um, you know, like, like the Laugh Factory at this point had stopped returning my emails. I was blacklisted from the Ice House for a completely unrelated thing. Right. And um, I was blacklisted from the Haha ha Cafe, which is another club out here. And I'm like, dude, I'm blacklisted from two of the five major clubs. <laughs> and, um, and, and I was like, and I haven't even done anything. It's not like I didn't, it's not like I went and said, fuck this place, you know, or anything. Right. it was just fucking wrong place, wrong time, said the wrong thing right. kind of a thing. And, and I was like, I, I couldn't have been lower. I was like, dude, no, fuck it. I was like losing weight, you know, I'm like, I'm like my, I need to take care of my life. I need to know that there's something else out there. Right. I need to know that this isn't all there is. And I took, I took like eight months off. And um, got your spirits. And back. I, I announced it, which is probably the biggest mistake I made. Like I announced <laughs> it, and I was like, I'm not because I could have just not done anything, and no right. one would have known because I wasn't performing that much. You know, it's like I could have just sat at home and been pissed. <laughs> I, I was such a drama whore. I was like, fuck this business, fuck this world. I'm moving to Australia. <laughs> and um, yeah, so so I did it, and that was like the biggest mistake I made because then when I wanted to come back, everybody was like, nah. <laughs> You were kind of hot for a while, but now, you know, like, now you're taking a year off and, you know, we don't remember if you're even funny. <laughs> Amnesia. So, so it's been starting over for me. Uh, my agent, you know, I fired my agent. I, I called the improv and I was like, I don't want to perform here anymore. Take me off your list, you know, or whatever of, of regulars. And and uh, they were like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, I'm sure. And I quit SAG and everything. Wow. Um, and then, and then, you know, eight months later... I found myself happy. I was like, I'm happy again. I, I got a good job, started making good money, and um, and I moved out of the I moved out of the ghetto, and I, I got a nice apartment in Studio City, yeah, um, nice. uh, which only lasted for a couple of months. I'm actually in a great part of town now, but um, I'm in um, and I was just sitting in my room bored one day, and I was like, I kind of want to go to go do comedy. You know, I was like, I, I miss doing comedy because now that I'm happy, I just I had to prove to myself that there. That I didn't have to do this, yeah, that I want to do this. Yeah. You know, it's not like this is a job that I have to do just because it's all I know. It's something that I want to do. <laughs> yeah. And um, and yeah, and then it just like it's that's when I found my confidence. It was it was when I lost everything that I finally realized I'm free to do anything. Right. You know, like I was like I'm I I lost it all, and I my life will never be worse than it was. I mean, like that's that's the great thing about hitting rock bottom. You know, right. like it'll never be worse than this. Yep. I mean, right. unless I do it to myself, unless I get a crack habit or something like that. <laughs> as far as like just life kicking my ass, it's not gonna get worse than that. That's you know, like awesome. that's as low as a person can be. 
you know, not eating. I mean, yeah, you can go to Africa and say, yeah, these guys have it worse than you did. But I mean, like, <laughs> as, as far as like an American, Here in America. From, wealth, from, you know, that's about as bad as it gets. You know, like I, the, the fucking, the blood, the bloods, the, cra the crack yeah. dealers that hung out on my thing used to come in and fucking charge their phones in my house. You know, they're just like, hey man, you mind if I use your plug? No, we were friends. Like, oh, okay. These became my friends. Oh, okay. you know, like, <laughs> I was about to say shit. <laughs> my neighbor was a fucking bank robber for the for the uh, Mexican mafia. Like he, he would come he would come over and he'd be like, dude, we just knocked off a fucking bank in uh, Inland Empire. He's like, don't tell anyone. And we start smoking out and talking about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, this it was the real deal. Wow. Like, this was the real deal. Dude, that's awesome. Um, there was there was a moment in there. That actually, this is a story. Do you guys have time for like another story? Yeah, yeah it's up to you. This is awesome. Yeah, Keep going. Whenever you need to go, um, you go. So there's this comic named Ron Shock, and uh, do you guys know of him? He's, I've he heard lived of him. in Vegas. Heard yeah, the name. I've heard of him. Ron Ron was one of the Houston Outlaws with Bill Hicks and Sam mm -hmm. Kinison and Judy right. Garofalo and all those other guys or whatever. And uh, he was he was one of the Houston Outlaws, and he was actually Bill Hicks's like really good buddy. They were like best friends, and he if you listen to him. You can hear Bill Hicks. Like, it's Influence. like they sound like each other. You know, they talk like each other and, and everything. This guy's lived an amazing life. I don't even want to get into his, I mean, his <laughs> life story. I, I could tell you. He was 65 years old when I met him. Oh, he's like 63 when I met him. Um, he was one of the comics that I booked in Salt Lake. And uh, he lives in Vegas. So whenever I would drive to Salt Lake, I'd pass through Vegas. We would stop and have dinner and hang out. Yeah. We stayed friends. Um, we, we bonded really well. Like, he did four shows for us, I sold them out for him. And that was him returning to comedy because he walked away from comedy as well. He had to take care of his ex-wife uh, who had been in an accident. Oh, wow. um, and, um, and we bonded. And, and this was a guy who had amazing stories. They call him the storyteller. And he had great <laughs> stories about Bill Hicks. He had great stories about being on the road. Um, he lived an amazing life and these crazy stories. He, used to, he was a bank robber for a while. He, was <laughs> he did it all. <laughs> he, had, he had this amazing, amazing life. And... Um, and and uh, Ron, uh, and, and there you really I, I highly recommend go YouTube him when when you get off. Yeah, the yeah, for sure. It'll 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 it, he'll you'll be like I don't know why I never discovered this guy until now. <laughs> um, Ron uh, gets diagnosed with cancer. He gets dick cancer of all things. Oh shit! And, yeah, painful. And um, <laughs> and, uh, and and so you know he's like I don't know how long I have and and whatever. And I'm still living in the ghetto at this point, but I have a good job, and um, and I didn't really know what to do. I um, I was I was like, I'm gonna come out and see if I can help you, you know, or whatever. So yeah. I came out on one. I had a couple days off, so I drove out, and uh, and this car, you know, I was like nervous. I was like, I don't know if it's gonna make it. <laughs> we get to, I get to Vegas, and um, and I I did my best to kind of help him out, you know. I mean, it, it was obviously nothing that I could do. I mean, it's you know. Oh well, yeah, more. But but you know. Just to just to know that someone's thinking about you, just to know that you're not kind of alone in this. Yeah. Um, I show up and his chair's broken, you know, like his favorite chair's broken, so he has to like lay down on um on the couch to watch TV and he didn't look comfortable. Oh. So like I hire a handyman to come and like fix his chair and then I go to like Costco and I stock up on all this stuff that he needs and, and uh, you know, kinda like stock his house up. I'm like, I don't know what you need. Um, but I know money's an issue, so let me, because he's a comic, you well, know, yeah. so I'm like, let me see if I can, um, let me see what I can do to kind of, to help you out, and I didn't do any of this, I didn't do any of this to brag about it, I just, I was like, the guy needs, right, you're a good I human want, being, this is yeah. what I would want, you know, like, I would want someone to just show up and show me that they care, right, yeah. and, um, I, you know, and, and he was out of it a lot because of, um, 
the yeah, because of the medicines that he was on. on. He was on a lot of weed and stuff. But um, you know, we we bond a little bit during this period, and uh, and I you know, I helped him out as best I could. And then he um, he calls me like a month later or something. He's like, Cena, why did you do all of that? You know, he's like, why did you, uh, why did you, you know, and we talked about comedy and I told him I quit, I was quitting and everything and I was yeah. like, I'm, I'm out of the business and whatever. And he was like, yeah, well, you know, whatever. We do a special thing and, yeah. and uh, you know, if you don't want to do comedy, you know, fine, fuck you, whatever. <laughs> but, but, you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't pressure me or anything. He wasn't like, hey, you got to fucking do comedy. The world needs you. Right. But he was like, you're a funny kid and, and you, you should do, you should do it. Yeah. Um, but at this point, careers were like, we were not, you know, guys facing death. You right. Know, like the last thing he right. cares about is, yeah. is my career. But, um, but, you know, he was, he was sad when I told him. And it kind of bothered me that I was like, ah, I fucking shouldn't have told him maybe, you know. Right, yeah. But I, I didn't want to do comedy anymore. And, um, and he was like, well, that's a bummer, you know. And um, he calls me like a month later. And, uh, and he's like, Cena, why did you do all that stuff for me? And I was like, I don't know, Ron, and, like, just felt like the right thing to do, you know, was, I, you know, I was like, it's just money, you know, like, right. fucking, yeah, I wish I could heal you, you know what I mean? I, Pay I it fucking, forward. I'll take half the cancer, you know what I mean? I, right. I wish I could do something to help, um, but I can't, and I don't know if this is just something you're going through, or if this is the end for you, or whatever it is, you know, I mean, I, I don't know, but, you know, I, I've buried a number of my friends now, and, um, and, uh, you know, as you get older, that kind of happens, you know, people, you know, cancer and suicide and whatever and, and, um, and, uh, drug overdoses and whatever else. And, um, and I was like, man, I've, I've, i buried enough of my friends to know that if I could, if I knew in advance that I could do something to be there for them, I would have mm-hmm. been there for yeah. them, you know? And it seems like the least I could do is to show up and see if I could help out. And it seems like this is where I was best needed, you know, is to kind of help you do this. And, yeah. and I wish I could do more, but that's all I could do, you know. And and uh, and I was like, I'll come back and, and help more or whatever. And, uh, and uh, you know, I, I hired the handyman to do a few things around the house or whatever besides the chair and, and whatever. And he was like, I, I ended up spending a lot of money is basically right. well, yeah. what, ended up, what ended up happening. And he said something that changed my life forever. Like he, he said something that... that affected me so greatly that uh, I don't know if, if I'll ever in a million years um, really be able to thank him enough for this. Um, he said to me, we, we were both kind of crying on the phone, you know, or whatever, and, uh, and he says, brother, Cena, man, you're the real deal. And he's like, you are the real deal. And, uh, and I was like, thanks, Ron, you know, I mean, that means a lot coming from you. You know, like, you, you've First of all, you don't have to say that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you're on your way out. You know, like he, <laughs> oh, says, yeah. he says that. He's like, he's like, he's like, I'm, I'm on my way out. He's like, this is, this is not something I'm gonna live through. You know, he's like, I don't know how much longer I have, but this is not. He's like, this is, this is the end. You know, and, and he's like, I just wanted you to know that, you know, I love you, and you're the real deal, and uh, I can't thank you enough, and, and, um, and you mean a lot to me, and, and you know, but it was that, that, that thing that he said, just for some reason. I'm like, this guy has known the real deal. This guy is the real right. deal. Yeah. This guy is friend, you know, was friends with, he's seen the world, and this guy is telling me now, you know, you're the real deal. And I thought about it, and I was like, yeah, 
<laughs> you know, like fuck yeah, there you go. Why, why, why am I insecure? And why am I not confident? And yeah. why am I? Why do I have all these problems? You know, in my head about right. being okay with myself. Yeah. Um, and feeling like I'm not enough, and and all this other stuff. When there's all these guys walking around with a fucking shitload of confidence that that's mm. unearned, you know. Right. Yeah. And I was like, no, he's right. I am the real deal, and I don't have to feel shitty about myself and I don't have to um, because Ron said it he's like you're the real deal and I was like that's the validation that I needed it was like it was like all that validation I needed from my father you know right. what I mean that I never <laughs> like one got, moment. Right. I got from this 66 year old man that's on his way out you know and and I was like that's all I needed to hear um, you know we were both crying and you know, I love you Ron I love you and thank you you know and everything thank you for everything you've done for me and, and everything and and I got to thank him, and he got to thank me, and then you know he died a month later, wow. and um, you know I, like two weeks later, and uh, I went to his funeral, and um, here's the strangest thing, man. The second I changed my mindset, before that happened, when I was living in that ghetto apartment, and I was you know Bloods having and a miserable fucking life, <laughs> yeah, fucking I had huge opportunities. Um, uh, Kristen Wiig and Bill Hader's manager, she represents like half the cast of SNL, yeah. contacts me, says she wants to represent me. And I fuck it up. I, I go wow. into that meeting pissed off at the business. I don't want to be in this business. I don't like what's, you know, uh, mm -hmm. whatever. And I fuck it up. Another big manager that represents like a, a he, he works at Levity Management, which represents a bunch of big yeah. clients. Yeah. And they own the improv now. And he wants to represent me. He sends me this really nice email. I got to show you these emails of these fucking people. They're like, you're, we think you're great. We think you're a star. We want to represent you, blah, blah, blah. And then I go into the meeting and I fucked it up because I wanted to get out of this business. You yeah, know? Right. Like that mindset I carried around with myself fucked everything up for me. It, it wasn't, it had nothing to do with how funny I was. It had nothing to do with how good I was or how talented I was. It had everything to do with the fact that I was carrying this cloud over my head because I chose to let the poverty get to me. I chose to let this bad breakup get to me. I chose to, you know, let the, this relationship with this production company that fucked me over get to yeah. me. I should have just kept looking forward instead of looking backward. Back. You can't, you can't sue people for riches. You know what I mean? Mm, like yeah, that's probably. not the way to get wealthy. You right. gotta fucking work for it. You gotta go. Yep. This is why lottery winners are always broke right, right. after. You yeah, know, you right. can't. You can't try to hold on to something that's already happened. You've got to keep, you got to be a factory. You've got to keep producing. You've got to keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. You can't be a warehouse because warehouses get shut down. They get fucking, right. like, you can't do that. <laughs> a warehouse is catch on fire and burn to the ground. Tornadoes. And then what do you have? you got nothing. Right. You've got to be the factory. You know, you've yeah. got to be the fucking factory that, that, that produces and that creates. And you've got to be happy. You've got to find a way to be okay with yourself. And, um, and that's, that's where my confidence went. And all the loneliness that I felt and all the shittiness. And I'm telling you, I went two years without getting laid, getting kissed or anything because I fucking buried myself right, in yeah. this fucking like awful place in this awful state of mind. And I said to myself, you know what? I don't care what it costs. I'm going to I'm going to get out of this apartment. I'm going to get a better life for myself. I'm going to I'm going to make everything better and I'm going to go back to doing comedy. And um, and a lot of that stemmed from that conversation that I had with Ron. I mean, it just like yeah. hearing him say that to me, you know, when I went to his funeral, I was in a totally different state of mind. You know, like I met Brian Regan was at his funeral. We, wow. I, I hung out with Brian Regan. You know, Holy he lives in Vegas, shit. by the way. Um, yeah, I know. Can't find like, him. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, <laughs> like, I, I, you know, I fucking, 
I just realized, I was like, as soon as you open yourself up to better things, better things happen, you know? And I was mm -hmm. like, like, you know, I met a girl there. It was great. You know, like it, it just, it changed everything. And the whole fucking ball game changed for me. The second I became okay with myself, the minute I became okay with success. And I, and I, I was told people, I was like, I want success now more than I'm afraid of it. Right. You know, and that's um, and that's kind of where I needed to be in my life. And uh, and I moved to that apartment in Studio City. I started doing comedy again, and my first show back went great. Nice. And I did a bunch of new material during that, and um, and it's been starting over. But it's been I'm happier now than I've ever been. I'm more confident now than I've ever been. I'm not afraid of anything. I'm not afraid of success. I'm not afraid of the world. Go. I fucking survived the ghetto, man. Yeah, you've lived come through at fucking me, bro. <laughs> yeah, come at me, bro. So, Dude, yeah. I mean, yeah, not to get too heavy on you. But no, yeah, but no. You're, you're, I mean, I've been, you know, we became Facebook friends and, you know, I've kind of followed you and, and followed a lot of your stuff and I honestly think you're funny as shit, dude. I think you're absolutely hilarious. I think, um, another thing that caught me is you're actually comedian with a, a damn good heart. Um, oh. you, you definitely seem to be on the side of anybody just being able to be funny. Um, Are you calling me the real deal, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> Coming from Rob. Yeah. I'm not sure how much clout yeah, that yeah, has from a, Rob. <laughs> I, I think my janitor would pay attention to what I say. But nah, dude, I mean, you're just, you're, you're, I, I really appreciate you taking the time because I, I really do hold a lot of respect for you, man. And, and I, I think you could do amazing things. And I'm, I'm glad to see you're back at and it. And you have great things to say, honestly. The advice you gave, that's gold. I mean, it's not cliched. It's not, you know, Buddha sounding. It's, it's, it's spot on. And I really think that. A lot of aspiring comics can sit there and listen to listen to your story and listen to what you know how how you got through the trenches and it's fucking inspiring, man. I yeah. gotta say. Yeah, it's gonna. You're not. It's not gonna be. You know, sunshine and puppy dogs always. You know? <laughs> <laughs> gotta kind of get through. I might have had a harder route than some people, but I haven't had it as hard as others. You know. Yeah. Um, you just it comes down to you can't see yourself doing anything else. Yeah. You know, like uh, honestly, the only other thing I could probably ever see myself doing would be like, I, I kind of always want to be a school teacher, you know, and if, okay. if things don't work out, you know, maybe I'll go do that one day and, and go be a school teacher. But that's, to me, it's the same thing, you know, like I just want to be in front of people, making yeah. people laugh and connecting with people, yeah. you know, yeah. and, um, and, uh, and I'm really enjoying this life that I've made for myself and, uh, and, you know, I finally made my bed and I'm sleeping in it. So. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic, awesome, man. man. I'm so yeah. glad that you were able to, to get on the, uh, our silly podcast yeah. with us. No, but, thanks for having me. Guys. Yeah, this dude. is a, a pleasure. I love talking. Yeah, <laughs> so, dude, definitely. Nice listen. We'll, we'll have to get you back on down the road and, uh, go knock the, uh, knock that out the park today. Yeah. You'll knock yeah, it. You'll yeah, rock yeah, it. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta get in the shower. Yeah. <laughs> go sober up. Yeah. <laughs> lots of water. Lots yeah. of water. All right, brother. Good luck and thanks again, Cena. Take care of yourself, brother. We'll be watching. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Nick. All, All right, brother. Man. Be good. Bye, mysterious black man. <laughs> <laughs> Later, brother. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that was a that was a fun was, fun guest amazing. star, man. Yeah. That was amazing. Cena's Cena's good people, man. Seriously, uh, he's, he's a good guy. And uh, even the first time, that funny thing was, is when I first. Uh, you know, kind of introduced myself to him on Facebook immediately was just, you know, very gracious, open, cool guy. And that's why I wanted to get him on here is because he would he he's realistic. He's he's down to earth. Yeah, he's just a caring guy, man. And so I, I hell, I don't even I'm not even doing comedy professionally. And now suddenly I am like inspired to like, <laughs> I want to do things now. <clears throat> I am not going to be the next George Carlin. <laughs> he is I, definitely yeah. not. Yeah, He'll be lucky I'm, if he can be the next I'm George hoping to Lopez. do stand up at fucking bus stops. <laughs> okay, that's what I'm sure. Almost people being his uh, yeah, yeah. his audience. Yeah. Um, 
Well, that was an awesome episode. Give us uh, look us up on Facebook and like our page. Uh, we got a bunch of other episodes on uh, suicidehotlinepodcast.podomatic.com. Yeah. Subscribe, and uh, hopefully we'll keep trudging on. Keep yeah. trudging on. Yeah. Till till next time, you fuck stains. Take it easy. Peace. Bye.